As Tig pointed out, they were ignoring the slice of bad news as you would a fart in a confessional box. <laughs> <laughs> Should we just get them all out of the way now? You know what I'm talking about. Top of the morning. Holy Mother Mary. <laughs> Luck of the Irish. Oh, Danny boy, the pipes, and so on. That might be quite reductive, but we do have some real literary pots of gold coming up. From the Amherst Literature Foundation in Dubai, this is the Boundless Book Club, the podcast about the books and the topics that you request. If you want to send us your suggestions, find us on social or ping us an email on comms at emiratesliftfest.com. Today, in honour of the man who allegedly drove all the snakes out of Ireland, we're going to be talking about Irish literature. You're here with... Annabelle. Ahlam. And me, Andrea. And joining us shortly, we also have the wonderful author, Sheila Maher, who is the author of the absolutely enchanting Six at the Table, Take the 70s, Add Family and Mix Well. But first, welcome to season two. Welcome, guys. We're back with stacks of books, lots of fantastic authors joining us for a chat in the coming episode. So do stay tuned and happy St. Patrick's Day, guys. Happy St. Patrick's Day and happy my birthday, I have to say. <gasps> happy <laughs> your birthday. That's the first thing I tell every Irish person I meet. I'm like, my birthday's on St. Patrick's Day. <laughs> <laughs> My birthday is the day after, so usually whenever I want to celebrate my birthday, people are not feeling very well. <laughs> I wonder why. You know what? I have a guess, which kind of links to the mythology of St. Patrick's Day. So do you know why people wear uh, uh, green for St. Patrick's Day? Because of the... Um... <laughs> <laughs> and over. It's not a trick question. So the, the <laughs> mythology says that people traditionally were green in Ireland, which is a very green nation, so that fairies wouldn't see them and pinch them. So it's like camouflage, oh. because fairies are really quite um, mischievous. Oh, interesting. You know what? I'll, when I'm talking about my book later on, because you just connected the dots for me there. Uh, I didn't know that that was a significant thing in their culture, because there's a bit of like fairy energy in my in my book so I'll talk about that a little bit later <laughs> fantastic I've also got lots of fairy energy in my book there's something of that in mine as well but not fairies <laughs> a sense of the supernatural and the otherworldly I think that's something that's going to connect all of the books so what did you actually choose then Annabelle oh starting with me mm -hmm. okay so I chose a book based on an author that I'd already read before. Um, her name is Jess Kidd. And the book that I'd previously read was a book called The Hoarder. And I think it's, all, it's also called Mr. Flood's Last Resort in different parts of the world. You know, some, some books have different titles depending on where they're published. And I really enjoyed it. There were elements of the supernatural. So in that book, there's a character who can see all of the Catholic saints just kind of walking around. And that's something that comes into the book that I've got here as well. So Jess Kidd, I think her first book was a book called Himself, and that's the one that I'm sharing today. And it's set in Ireland. The concept is tall, dark, handsome stranger. He's in his 20s from Dublin, turns up in 
sleepy village where everyone knows everyone's business. And it's the 70s and he's got flared trousers. He hasn't shaved. Everyone's calling, thinks of him as kind of this dirty hippie. And then there are quite a few very prim and proper older ladies, matronly women of the village who do not approve of him sweeping in and disrupting the status quo. The book actually starts with a murder and you find out at the beginning of the book, I'm not really spoiling anything, that this young man is in town not to just cause a flutter amongst the young women of the town and disrupt the orderliness of the, of the village, but he's there to investigate the circumstances of his birth, what happened to his mother, because he actually grew up in an orphanage. Um, he was dumped on the doorstep of an orphanage in Dublin. And the book is essentially a supernatural murder mystery where he's trying to investigate what actually happened to his mum, where she went, was she murdered? And it's not just him investigating this. So Mahoney is the the main main guy who's kind of trying to figure out what happened to his mum. And he befriends this elderly lady called Mrs. Corley, who has this theatric past. And she wears her flamboyant wig still now, even though she's, you know, like fading away, essentially. She's got a lot of health problems. She's in bed most of the day. And he's kind of staying in this B&B where she's also um, staying. She's like this sort of Miss Marple character. And she decides we're going to try and work together and figure out what happened to your mum by putting on a play and kind of drawing the culprit out. So in the audition process, they're actually interrogating the people of the town and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of darkness in the story. Um, Obviously, there's kind of a gruesome murder that starts everything off. And there's a lot of pain and he reflects back to his life being raised by nuns. And the the most interesting thing about this book is that there's, without kind of explaining it away or trying to figure out why it is a thing, both he and Mrs. Corley are able to see the dead. Mm. And that is the most interesting thing about this book is he's investigating this this potential murder. And the entire time he can see kind of like dead cats and people who've who've killed themselves or just people who've passed away from old age just wandering about the town. And you think when you figure out what he's trying to find out and the, the gift that he has, you wonder as he wonders, why can't I see my mum if she is dead? And so that's all I will say because I don't want to give too much away. <laughs> that sounds amazing. It's incredible. Mm. And the writing is phenomenal as well. And there's one bit I wanted to read to you because we are in the month of reading and I thought you would particularly like this. It's a kind of supernatural element, but it does talk about kind of the power of books as well. So this is Mrs. Corley talking to Mahoney in kind of her room and she's got this wonderful collection of books. Mrs. Corley reaches for her walking frame and with Mahoney's help moves her legs off the bed and puts on her slippers. With great effort she stands and Mahoney sees how small she is, not quite five feet tall, and the weight of dry hide and honeycombed bone alone. She sways, curved and calcified by time, smiling up at him. Open the doors, Mahoney. The French doors are stuck fast and blossoming with mould, but eventually they give and the night air falls in around Mahoney as if it's been waiting with its face pressed against the glass. That's it, throw them wide. The night air stalks into the room and starts to tease the dust along the skirting boards. Mrs. Corley takes a step forward, stumbling a little in her carpet slippers. Look around you, she whispers. The room is changing, see? The lights are burning brighter. Can't you feel it? The books want to tell you something. They want to help. 
and then Mahoney feels it. The books, the papers, and the magazines, all of them pulsing with a faint heartbeat. They're watching him, holding their breath. Mahoney suddenly wants to shout out against the pressure of all of these waiting words. Beautiful. It's lovely. It's just brilliantly well written. So it's a good murder story, murder, murder, murder mystery. It's a good murder mystery and it's really well written and the character's fantastic. And there's a lot of kind of Irish acerbic wit in there in the dialogue, which was the real highlight for me as well. Brilliant. I love that. The book that I read for today, I actually listened to it on um, audio and the voice actor was really, really good and just did the Irish accents for all the characters and the voices and the tones. And I really felt like I connected with the story a lot more on audio than maybe I would have reading it, maybe not being so familiar with uh, some of the Irish terminology, but hearing it, you kind of understand in context a little bit more. And, and I feel like I really love audiobooks and I feel some books definitely for me are better on audio and some are better being read like uh, Born a Crime by Trevor Noah is one that I loved on audio just because again he does the accents he does his grandma's voice he does his mother's tone he does you know um, all of the the voices himself and he really brings the story to life on audio and I feel like there's no way anyone can convince me that reading that is better than hearing him tell his entire story and the book that I want to talk about today I also listened to on audio. It's by Emma Donahue, uh, who was recommended by an Irish friend of mine. And I love that I found her because I really, really enjoyed this book. And I want to now go back and read her others. Uh, the book that I'm talking about today is called The Wonder. And it's set in um, the mid-1800s in Ireland, in Midland, Ireland. And it's uh, inspired by the great Irish famine, which I didn't even know about in that, you know, um, there was sort of like an attack uh, or a disease in their crops and all the potato crops didn't, uh, you know, they suffered for a good number of years and the Irish population at that time, a million Irish people passed away from that. And two other million immigrated away from Ireland. So the story of the wonder is uh, a little girl who apparently hasn't eaten in four months. She hasn't eaten since April. And they sent the, this nurse called Lib, who is the main character, along with the little girl who comes from from London and uh, she's she's going to Midland Ireland as one of the nurses they've put on this case to study what's happening and monitor the little girl so that she's going there for the watch and obviously Lib is coming from a scientific background you know she wants to look for the facts she wants to examine this little girl's physical uh, you know is she deteriorating is there any effects on her body what can she find she wants to also investigate you know, in her mind, she's like, there's no way this little girl hasn't eaten in four months. Someone is sneaking her some food somewhere. <laughs> so she goes in there and she's, she's you know, with, with that hat uh, on and, and she's very suspicious of everyone around her and all of that. And the little girl has her parents and the little village, like you say, Annabelle, you know, everybody knows everybody's business and everybody knows who's who and everyone's asking about Anna O'Donnell and what's, what's the latest and how's she doing? Is she still not eaten? And, you know, she's just judging everyone and every, you know, Lib, the nurse is judging everyone and everything around Anna O'Donnell. She looks at her parents and she's like, what kind 
kind of parents, you know, are like bought into the story that their daughter is this wonder and there's like tourists coming in to just take a look at her and they, they leave some money there. And so she's like, is there some you know, hidden motive here? Are they trying to, you know, make money? Are they trying to, uh, is it them? Is it, you know, the priest that comes to visit her? You know, is he, because all the money they say goes to donations to the, to the church. So he's like, is it the priest that's kind of like got, you know, sneaking her food, but this got them bought into this whole crazy story. So it's like a constant struggle between the old authority of like religion and these sort of, spiritual beliefs that they had and then you know this new authority of science that she's coming in with and it's like this this ongoing battle and they just can't communicate you know because it's just two completely different languages that they're coming from and you know throughout the story Lib and this little girl are getting closer and it's, it's a really beautifully written story I think from what I've read about Emma Donahue she tells you know, small stories, but then lingers in those spaces and some of the most sort of significant things happen in the little incidents. It's not, you know, a big plot and, you know, crazy things happening in the story. It's like taking a small setting and bringing it to life in her beautiful literature and way of words. And I really enjoyed it. And I love it on audio so I would really recommend anyone who's looking for Irish literature to do this on audio if they can question yeah. you said she did when you listen to it she did all the different accents and the voices and so on was a person reading it Irish or was she another person doing an Irish accent so she did the reg- like she's reading the narrator's parts in uh, uh, just a British accent, and then she does the dialogue in an Irish accent. Oh, I don't know where she's from. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So that was uh, it. Was really interesting, and she, it's it's not just even doing the Irish accent really well. It's just the tones and the voices. She was really good at doing the mother and then doing the father and the priest very different to each other. It's it's real acting. It's it's a real yeah. skill. <laughs> I was saying they even have a, an, an Oscars for audiobooks. They have the Audio Awards, which is a really oh, great no place way. to find if you if you want a great narrator, you can look at who got best narrator and you can choose books that way as well. Top tip, Andrea, you were saying. <laughs> oh, yeah, I was going to just remind everybody that I think Aklan promised she'd do an Irish accent for us today. <laughs> no. <laughs> I think you did them in the end, in the intro. That was fine. That's enough. <laughs> that wasn't an accent. That was just me talking. <laughs> I wouldn't know the difference. So <laughs> I think that's a bad that's a bad sign. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. um, so the book I chose today. Should I move on swiftly before before it gets mm. too embarrassing? It's um, an absolute masterpiece. It's called. Artemis Fowl by Owen Colfer and it is if I don't know if you can see this it's criminally good it is criminally good it's it's so good and I remember when this first came out um 20 years ago so it's having its 20th anniversary this year and I think when a book has an anniversary you know it's a book worth paying attention to so it's it's a really brilliant book Owen Colfer I think was a teacher who wrote this and I think he really gets how to make things fun for kids. 
Well, it's a, it's about a boy called Artemis Fowl. He is a ruthless criminal mastermind and he is clever and he is wealthy and he is 12 years old and he has no parental supervision because his dad, Artemis Senior, has disappeared, presumed dead, because he was doing this dodgy deal with, I think, Coca-Cola, sending Coca-Cola to Russia. Big explosion on the ship. He's, he's missing in action. And when that happened, Artemis' mum took to the bed, which is, you know, one of those things that people did all the time in Jane Austen's novels. They, you know, they take to the bed. And she's been there for almost a year, very confused, sort of sometimes recognises Artemis and sometimes not. It's really quite, it's really quite sad. I won't dwell on that too much now, but back to our story. So Artemis felt 12 years old, insanely clever. And he has just found out that fairies are actually real. And actually, sorry, sidebar, leprechauns are actually just fairies. And that's kind of their job is to be at the end of the rainbow with their gold, but like they're just fairies. Nothing special. Ah. That's some good marketing from the from the fae community, though. <laughs> I know, I know. So fairies are real, and they are not the Tinkerbell kind, but they're armed and they're dangerous, and they can certainly hold their own when Artemis decides to go after them to get the fairy gold. Because when his dad disappeared, the Artemis fortune, that sorry, the Fowl's fortune was some somewhat diminished. So he instead of dealing with all the emotional trauma of effectively losing two parents at the same time, decides to um, focus on restoring the family fortune. So he's going to get the gold. And then when he has the gold, people will sit up and take note. And possibly he might spend some of that money on trying to find his father, but we don't really know. And then there is this one particular fairy. Her name is Holly Short. She's a captain in the fairy police force. And she has not done the ritual that fairies need to do like every so often to restore their magic. So she has mm. been too busy being a police. So she hasn't done the ritual for a really long time. And she is just completely tapped out. She's got no magic left and she needs to go and restore her magic ASAP. Just as Artemis has deciphered this fairy book that tells you about the ritual and you can only do it in very very few places you need to have a large oak tree I believe that needs to be more than 100 years old it needs to be mm. bend in the river it's very complicated but in short he figures out where you need to go to to renew your magic so he goes there just to wait for a fairy to come and and Holly Short is on her way mm. and then all sorts of magical heist adventure happens and I'm not going to ruin it for anybody by telling you any more there's some really fantastic action and that's that some of that wonderful Irish wit that you mentioned earlier is in here and I've been reading it partly with my seven-year-old and he really enjoys like the swaggery cocky language sometimes like so 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 Artemis has a he has a helper uh, like a servant whose name is Butler and <laughs> <laughs> that's his surname and uh, and there's one line where it says Butler could kill you a hundred different ways without using his armory though I'm sure one would be quite sufficient and 
my seven-year-old absolutely loves that, whereas I get really weepy at the thought of this poor 12-year-old boy on his own in this big mansion with no parents. <laughs> so it's got something for everybody, and I really recommend it. So it's a children's book or, or young adult? It's for everyone. Yeah. <laughs> it's for everyone. And it's got, like, it's got all of that wonderful, like, fast-paced action, but also it's got mm. real heart because underlying all of this is this, like, huge sadness that this boy feels that mm. having lost his parents. And, you know, his mom, who he goes in to see in her bedroom with the drapes drawn, and, and she will kind of ask him who he is and why he's there and to go away and where is my Artemis. Oh. I know. Yeah, that's really sad. <laughs> but great. And this is just the first out of many many Artemis Fowl adventures so if you haven't read them I think you should that's awesome and we had on Koffer at the festival in the past um twice actually and so hopefully we can have him back again one day I think he's also written adult novels yes. at least one because mm. I remember reading one many years ago and they were also fun he's got a new one out that's about a dragon that lives in a Louisiana swamp <gasps> It's it's wonderfully bizarre. <laughs> I mean, a dragon in the Louisiana swamp sounds like everything you need in a novel. Yeah, pretty much. Why are we talking about any others? I don't know. <laughs> They're so unique, though. Every every one of the books that we've picked today, like they all have a bit of magic, supernatural in them, and I wonder, you know, if if that's a reflection of the broader Irish literature seen which will be good to ask Sheila in a bit the thing that I found in terms of Irish wit as I was reading this was there was every so often a turn of phrase that was just so Irish so wonderful that I wanted to just make it part of everyday language and and just the way characters talk to one another in Irish literature like even if they're the best of friends or specifically if they are the best of friends like insulting each other is a sign of friendship. And that's something that speaks to me because that's that's how I feel about kind of insults and being rude. A lot of the um, excerpts that I bookmarked from this book, I couldn't actually read um, because <laughs> they were so, so full of swearing. But it was stuff like that, particularly in the book that really, really appealed to me. Just the, the banter is just so good um, in this book. And I think in a lot of great contemporary Irish yeah. fiction. Yeah, definitely. I felt that in my book as well. That's not the the fiction, that's the culture. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think it takes a good writer to be able to to mirror that. Yeah. With with dialogue and not make it seem forced. Were there any particular phrases that stood out to you that you wanted to to use every day? There was there was one that I thought um was particularly good that I would share with you. <laughs> okay. As Tyg pointed out, they were ignoring the slice of bad news as you would a fart in a confessional box. <laughs> <laughs> That's brilliant. There are many, but that was chef's kiss. <laughs> that is pretty good. Yeah. And on that fart in a confessional box note, I think I'll, I'll leave my comments there. <laughs> <laughs> now let's bring in our special guest author, Sheila Maher. 
Sheila is a writer, a teacher, regular contributor to RTE Sunday Miscellany, and the author of the memoir, Six at the Table, Take the 70s, Add Family and Mix Well, which tells the story of her childhood through meals shared around the kitchen. It celebrates the central role that food plays in family life, but with a strong flavor of 70s nostalgia. Hello, Sheila, and thank you for joining us today. Hi, thanks for having me on the Boundless Book Club. Lovely to be here. Lovely to have you. How is gorgeous Dublin today? Well, it's actually beautiful. Blue sky day, sunny, cold. It is March after all, but you know, I'll take the blue skies any day. Sheila, I have to tell you the thing I tell every Irish person I meet. My birthday is on St. Patrick's Day. Ah, oh, wow. <laughs> An honorary so Paddy. Yes, so I'm coming to Ireland one birthday. <laughs> you have to, after this is all over. Yeah, definitely. Yes. For sure. So we invited you to join uh, on this particular podcast because we're talking about Ireland and Irish literature. And your own book paints a very clear picture of a particular time and place and hits on flavors of Ireland in the 70s. So tell us, Sheila, um, we wanted to know um, what book you'd like to recommend for us today on the occasion of St. Patrick's. So I, I, it was a really tough call to pick. I had two juggling around in my head, but I plumbed for Donal Ryan's The Spinning Heart. It is actually now part of the Leaving Cert curriculum here in Ireland, so it's very much firmly established as um, you know, a book about Ireland. It's set in 2010, which is just post the crash. So we had a boom and then we had a bust. And it's, I suppose, it, he may not have meant to write about such devastation, and such struggles and such darkness but boy did he and I suppose at the time when that book came out I just went yes you know we, we read about the banks collapsing and the builders going bust and but th this was people this was individual story and families being destroyed and you know people's dignity being taken from them and he does it in such a humane way and he doesn't spare any blushes I mean the language can be really you know, out there. Um, I know my eight-year-old mother couldn't finish it, even though she loves Donna Ryan now. She found the language a bit too coarse and vulgar, to use her term. But that's the way people speak, and it, they are speaking their truth about how they, would, they felt. So I'll tell you, it's, it's written in 21 chapters, 21 voices of people in rural Ireland from this t unnamed town, where you open up and you realize a builder has gone bust. He's borrowed heavily from a bank. He actually has some dubious investments in Dubai, <laughs> went sour, and he has scarpered. Nobody knows where. They suspect to, the, to Europe somewhere. And the first narrator is his foreman, who is a decent skin. He's a nice guy. And he's actually the moral compass throughout the book. He's the, the one very solid, nice character. He loves his wife, loves his kids, kind of does unasked for favors for people. Just a really decent bloke. He was the foreman on, for this builder. And he's just in shock at being so let down. And he's reeling from it. Now, he also has a very complicated relationship with his father, and those two things carry with them. And so we only meet Bobby in his first narration, in his monologue, and, and then the monologue, then the next person talking is the father of the builder who's scarpered, and he carries the story. So we learn a little bit more about Bobby and about life, and this man is so ashamed that his son took his business that he built up for, as a navvy in Liverpool, then came back to Ireland, built the business from the ground up, 
and then he's so ashamed that his son has done this. And then to compound the, sh the, the shame, the son hasn't been paying his employees social insurance for years. So when all these poor men who are laid off go to social welfare, they don't even exist. They're not even getting the money they're entitled to. So it's kind of layer upon layer of shame for this man. And, and yet, you know, he tells us bits about Bobby and what's going on. And then the next narrator carries the story on a little bit. And they're all their own thoughts. And each of them is impacted, whether it's depression, schizophrenia, alcoholism, of course, it's Ireland. You know, there's sexual abuse, there's a woman coming out, there's everything, but it's all done very subtly. And each of these people, as well as having their personal story, you know, has lovely insights on with nature, on being a father, on life in general. They're just, they're also human and they're also mm -hmm. brave and they're struggling. And while it is very dark, I suppose you, there's hope there because the people themselves are so brave and they're, they're struggling on. And just Donald Ryan has a really, he's a really special way of writing. I just love, I think his writing is just brilliant. And he's written loads since, and this was his first one. And he's just been brilliant ever since. And I suppose that's why I, I kind of, I chose that book. There's so much in it. And it's only a tiny little book. It's only mm. around 170 pages. So it's not a very big book. And you might mm. think at the beginning, oh, 21 narrators, I'm going to be confused. But it's a credit to him that you, you know these people as you're reading, you know who's who, you know, you get it. He just does mm. it so subtly and he weaves them all so well. And it's one, it's one, it's a debut novel, but it, it won so many awards, including being shortlisted for the Booker, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So no, it's, it was some achievement. It really was. And, you know, he, I know, I think he said it wasn't meant to be about the boom and bust, more about connectedness and what lies beneath. But for me, it was just great that someone really got the essence of the devastation that happens when these builders and bankers and developers lose the run of themselves. And then mm -hmm. what happens to the, the little people? What happens there? And I think he, got, he really got it. Such a great recommendation. I really want to read it now. Oh, good, good. Just be prepared. Like it, some of the language, you know, it, it's, yeah. raw. it's raw. I, w I wanted to ask about that. So you have all these 21 different voices. Are all of them equally raw or are you, do you find that some are really vulgar and some are very prim and proper and they have different voices? Yes, they do. There's no prim and proper. <laughs> I, <would laughs> say there's, I was waiting for a prim and proper. There's, even the small child who narrates isn't prim and proper. But it, they, they definitely he mixes them up because there is some mm -hmm. really, whew, uh, there's some ones that are quite hard to take. And then he balances out with ones that are more, mm. they're gentler and they're not quite so in your face. So he does that job well. But you even have a ghost mm -hmm. in it as well, talking. It's great. There's everything. <laughs> we were just saying that, that in all of our books, there's been a little bit of supernatural presence ah. uh, for in, in, in all of our books written by Irish authors. Well, and um, Yeah. And I wanted to ask you, Sheila, if I were to ask you, who are the top three Irish writers in Ireland, in the history of Ireland's literature, who would okay. you pick? I would probably say William Trevor, mm -hmm. um, because actually his, one of his books was in my head to pick as my favorite, because I loved the story of Lucy Gold. So uh, William Trevor, probably, um, and I'm, I would put 
done right up there now. I'd have to because he's written so many books at this stage. Um, I do like Anne. Um, do you know what? The other recommendation that she, unfortunately, she's only her next novel. Her novel is only coming out this year. Is Claire Keegan? I don't know if you've heard of her. She has written more short stories, mm-hmm. but her book uh, Foster was also one that I was thinking of recommending. It's only 70 pages long. It has won a lot of awards for short stories, and I think it's still a bestseller. Mm-hmm. And it's just her writing about the conflicting emotions and nature. It's just, I was in floods reading that book. It really, really got to me, and I can't wait for her next book to come out. I think she has something really special to say as well. So that kind of, they spring to the front of my mind, because I had, when I was thinking, what's my recommendation? They're the three authors. I was Claire Keegan Foster, or William Trevor, or Donna Ryan. I, I was debating which of the three of those I would I'd go for. I, I actually wanted to ask about the what we've noticed about all of the books that we've been reading and recommending is that kind of strong sense of the supernatural. So in the book that I recommended as well, there's a man who can see ghosts everywhere he goes and it's quite a common thing that's that's accepted and in one of Jess Kidd's later books as well she has a character who can see all of the Catholic saints and no one else around her can see them and I think uh, Andrea you were talking about there's obviously fairies in Artemis Fowl and yeah. and you and, and you mentioned as well Sheila there's that that element as well comes into books is is it just kind of a fluke of the books that we've been talking about today or is that quite a common theme throughout a lot of contemporary Irish fiction? That's really, that's a good question. I, do you know what? Even when I think about other, yeah, I suppose now that you say it, it's sometimes it takes somebody outside <laughs> to see what we just take for granted. Um, <laughs> because Solar Bones, I don't know if you know Solar Bones, another mm. Cormac, the one that's on one sentence, the whole book is just one sentence. But that's also narrated by a man who's just died. And you know, like in Ireland, we just take that for granted. There's, there's, <laughs> there's all these different layers. I, yeah, and we don't question it. But it's funny that you should all notice that. It's, 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 yeah, that's mad that uh, your, your outside observations are something that I would probably think is present in a lot of our literature that we just mm. go, yeah, there you go. There's yeah. ghosts, there's dead people talking. Oh yeah. That's totally fine. normal. <laughs> That's fine. Maybe is it is it because of our spirituality and our religious faith that's so ingrained in us? Uh, possibly, you know, there's that's yeah, maybe. what runs through all of us in Ireland, you know, it is the mm, yeah. religious that may be part of it and our spirituality, the Celtic thing as well, mm-hmm. might be part of it. Thanks so much for joining us today, Sheila. It has been an absolute pleasure to have you with us today. If you want to check out Sheila's book, it is called Six at the Table, Take the 70s, Add Family and Mix Well. If you want to check out more Irish literature, which you should, you can check out our blog where we list some of the names you know and the names you should know. That's all for now. You can send us your suggestions for topics on comms at emirateslitfest.com and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you want to, leave us a five-star rating to help others find us too. Next time, we will be talking about literature in inhospitable settings. Stay tuned for This Place Will Kill You. Until then, slaunch up.